Welcome to The Daily Wrap-Up, a concise show dedicated to bringing you the most relevant independent news as we see it from the last 24 hours. Saturday, July 15th, 2023. Thank you for joining me today. It's going to be two main topics. I did a lot of follow-up on the general COVID-19 discussion that I've been kind of cataloging off to the side. The reason I even say that is because so many of these topics, as you'll see today, are things that we've either nailed to the wall and are, and I'm glad to see are getting more and more reach things like the pregnancy issue, the conversation of the 14 to 21 day period, but a lot new, a lot of new information that just kind of adds to the category that you were right about this. These things are dangerous and they're still lying about it. Part of the title was possibly going to be today. There's the, they're still pressuring the shot, but it's just, doesn't really catch anybody these days because it's just old news, but it's important to understand what this really is and how it very clearly is not going to stop unless we stop it. Whatever you think that means, I don't mean violence, but we are all, all going to also talk about a really important shift in the conversation. And I, and I genuinely think it's because of you out there making a difference. I think it's because people have been pushing back. The narratives are being dis- dismantled in real time. And now even the Wall Street Journal came out and had to admit they're pushing treatments on children with no evidence. Coming off of a time where they're screaming about science and evidence and facts and benefits outweigh the risks and then shifting right into pushing something that they are knowingly doing without evidence. And then the evidence we do have shows you that they're hurting people. But of course, that's all okay as long as this person that in any other topic is not allowed to make their own choice decides for themselves. The children. It's, it's, it's horrifying. It really is. And we're going to go over a couple of quick things to start. But today, in general, I toyed on, I, I battled with whether I was even going to say this. But as you guys know, I've been doing my best to try to bring these times down. And I know a lot of you don't want that. But I want to just to kind of see the difference in, in how this gets out. So today, my goal, and it's, it's a shorter show content-wise in general. But my goal today is to see if I can get all through all this in an hour. Now, the only reason I say that, probably almost guarantee it's not going to happen, the reason I say that is because for those that are new to the show or those that aren't, just know that if I'm, if it appears differently in my cadence and how it's going and, and whether I'm showing things that I used to, that would be what. That's the only reason I'm saying that. Otherwise, I wouldn't even brought it up. But also because I tend to go, this is going to be a short show, and then it ends up being three hours, which I'm well aware of. But very serious topics to get into today. Things that I think are important to just shatter the, the, the perception of the average person that doesn't see all the things that we see. And, and really just to continue to show how alarming it is that these things are still happening, the COVID-19 injections entirely, but then also that they're still being pushed afterward. They're still talking about the next ones. It's, it's just, just mind-blowing, but we'll get into it all today. But let's start with a couple of quick things that I'm not going to get into deep, but I wanted to say off the top just to make sure you saw it. I thought this was interesting. Defense One points out, China-linked hacker hits State Department email accounts, a surgical campaign. Now, I have no doubt that China would do this and is capable of this, but I just always question whether or not this is even actually what happened. I mean, we know, and I would say the same thing in reverse. I have no doubt that China would pretend that U.S. did things if that's what they wanted to accomplish to manipulate their peoples. The only reason it's this is always the focus is because I'm an American and I feel like I can affect the most change in the United States and with the tyrannical U.S. government. None of these governments we should be trusting or believing or have your best interest in heart. At least that's my opinion. But this is... Important because we've been being we've been hearing a lot about the cyber polygon, 
right? The cyber pandemic, which is just sort of laugh out loud ridiculous. Uh, the, the only reason that terminology is used is because the, it was enfolded in with the Great Reset and the COVID-19 pandemic and everything else. But now we start to see this happen. And Microsoft, of all people, which is interesting because the overlaps and everything. Anyway, I'm not going to get too deep on it, but we'll follow up on this in general. And we have been. I, I catalog so much more than you guys realize in different files and different tabs, just what I have organized, bookmarks and different categories, things that I've never even touched. But I will come back to this because I think it's important to see how this builds. And it, it, and on top of all of it, just would be important if China actually did this, right? But what, it, it depends a lot on how the U.S. goes forward after this and what ultimately happens there. But keep an eye on this because it's important. Here's another fear-mongering, nonsensical story coming out of the UK, but in general, the United States and the UK and all the West hyping the Great Reset direction, the climate change scare. It's just so... It's, 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 I was going to, I was going to, I should, there's a whole part of the story we should get into today, but I'm not for time. But the idea being that this is something that is carefully shown to change over a very short period of time. But how absurd it is that they can be pointing at temperatures. I mean, you've seen me do entire focuses on this, comparing temperatures of previous years. I mean, they're just blatantly lying about half this most of the time. And they just don't seem to not care that you see it. But as uh, Kiri and JP points out, have you ever seen such hyperbole and sensationalism in a single article? Sadly, all the time in corporate media, as I know he's aware, heightened, heightened the risk of heat-related illness. Upcoming heat waves, apocalyptic, conflates internal body temperature with climate temperature. That's not a statement. That's one of the points. I mean, it's just, it's just such an effort to manipulate based on all sorts of... The bottom line is, if you read the article, look at the graphs, they're showing temperatures on these w- weather channels that are lower in some cases than they've been before. I mean, it's all red and orange and scary. It's just such a clear effort to make you think, one, that this is worse than ever. It's very clearly not, despite all the hype. Two, that this is only because of climate change. Now, I'm no un- under no illusion that these governments are... That they, I, I don't. I, it's very clear that they are destroying the planet, all of them, and, and anybody individually that does things that are bad for the planet that adds to it, sure. But the point here is that this is not about saving the planet or environment. Some people genuinely believe that, but you can prove that what they're trying to do is, the, in fact, the opposite that would help humanity. But again, get into another topic another day, and we will. I will be getting into a bunch of stuff about climate change lockdowns and all this coming in the near future. But I think I have one point in that today. But on that same point, here's Freddie Pontone pointing out, this is what's happening right now, and we love it. You're such a fraud. Pointing out the same point down here as Patrick Kelly says, what's happening in Southern Europe right now is truly terrifying. And you can see these, you know, same kind of thing. Highs of 45 degrees Celsius, which is, it's hot. Yeah, it's hot. I mean, it's, it's again, growing up in California, we had 116 days heat in the summer. The point is that it's not, it's, Insulting to your intelligence to pretend that this is, oh, look, this is interesting. We're going to get into this shortly. Anyway, the point is he's, this, he's from France, and he's saying, I've known many summers with 40-plus degrees many times in the south of France. So why alarming people for nothing unless you have a political agenda? Well, that's exactly why. Very clear. On another interesting note, and again, this will probably be specifically followed up in a topic around this, the general point of trafficking, child tracking, trafficking, but also the ongoing discussion about this now politically, which is interesting for the movie and so on. Assemblymember Liz Ortega, which I was, I was, I was like, this has to be a parody. I, it's not. This is their account, even though they've got very short following, small following. We just talked about this. This is a member, assembly member from California. We just showed you the article where they voted no on a bill against child trafficking. 
And then I couldn't believe it. She tweeted on the 13th. On Tuesday, I made a bad decision. Voting against legislation targeting really bad people who target traffic children was wrong. <laughs> I'm like, that can't be a real tweet. I, 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 it is, though. She says, I regret doing that, and I'm going to help get this important legislation passed in the law. So I guess if you want to take this face value, you say, good. She realized she was wrong, and now she's going to vote for bills that stop child trafficking. But I just... I mean, as everybody in the comments is saying, well, whoa, whoa, hold on a minute. What's your logic here? Which is what I said, too. Like, how about before we skip past this, what made you vote no in the first place? And people are commenting, saying that's not true. You immediately were talking after this, saying that they have enough harsh penalties and blah, blah, blah. I just said a bad decision. I call voting in a pro-child trafficking direction a bit more than just a bad decision. I'm really shocked she even tweeted this. What was your logic for voting no to begin with? That's the real question. I promise you will never get answered. Now, there are people pointing out that this bill is not all that it seems. And there's that's always how this goes. But at the end of the day, as far as I can tell, and I did look at this, it does appear to be something that is at least in general. Some, the bottom line is the real point is about the way she engaged with this. The bill itself, you can decide, look into and decide for yourself if it's actually something that we should support against trafficking. I don't know. I find it hard to believe that anything that's j- making it more difficult for trafficking to happen is something we should not support. I find it hard to believe we shouldn't support it, make that clear. But I just find this really concerning. Is this now, or, or let's put it this way on top of that, is it a positive note? Is this an indication that our efforts are making a difference, that these people used to be able to vote, like, again, the Stop Arming Terrorist Act that literally almost everybody voted against? That This is what we should have seen then. Oh, I'm sorry. You're right. I should have voted for a bill that stops bad guys from doing bad things. Oops. <laughs> and in fact, the fact that she's speaking on this seems to suggest that we're having a, a, a read. I don't know. You can decide for yourself. I still thought that was pretty interesting. Now, last three points, four points on digital currency. Now, we've just talked about BRICS and the conversation of their discussion of a gold-backed currency, right? And I, we, I don't think anybody should really – I mean, any currency can be used to manipulate people. I just would think that we should generally support any gold-backed currency as long as we have choice to do what we want and you know how, whatever else. That being said, apparently the Russian parliament passes their digital ruble bill. Now, understand, digital currency is not the same thing as Bitcoin or rather specifically cryptocurrency – or even blockchain technology, or I should have said it the other way around. But the point is, ultimately, it's still in the wrong direction and in the direction of CBDCs. I thought that was very concerning. And Scott points out, so BRICS wants gold backed. Russia does digital. The governments are stealing all the gold. It's a good point. But either way, and I think that is true, true, truly happening, it just shows you a concern about what's really going on and whether BRICS, as some people want to believe, I'm never framed it that way, is the good guy side to all of this. I don't know why we would trust any of these people, but it's, it, I personally would generally want to go in a multipolar direction than a unipolar global government. Frankly, I don't want any government. You see, that's the point that people, when they pretend I'm pro one side or the other, you know, leave out. I don't trust any of these people and don't want government in general. But obviously, if we had to choose, you would think you'd want a, a at least ostensibly a situation where the peoples of their nations could effectively pick what they want in their country. But that aside, this is very concerning to me because I quite frankly think all of these governments are going in the same direction in slightly different ways. Now, here is the Brazil CBDC pilot, which contains exactly what we've been telling you, code that can freeze or reduce your funds. 
And it's like every other example. You've heard it from the from the Bank of International Settlements. You've heard it from literally everybody. This will be used to dictate what you can do, or at the least they're able to do that. That's wildly terrifying. We have in Australia examples of the banks. Again, this is the third example I've seen where they're just going, sorry, banks treating customers with absolute disdain. This is Sky News, not even allowing withdrawals. I mean, to realize that's different than the woman being told to transfer. They're going, you can't even take it. This is over the top. And of course, it's about, you know, narrative, whatever they want to say that day. Last thing before we jump into a conversation about, uh, I guess, what's the right term? I was going to say PPE, but, you know, emergency protocol. What's the term they use? I'm forgetting. Mass lockdowns and all sorts of things. I want to make a couple quick points on. But before we get past that. And the last opening point here, I thought this was pretty interesting. This is Kamala Harris speaking at, uh, what venue was this actually? At the White House, it looks like. But the point is, she's giving a quick speech and she makes a comment. Now, the, I'll tell you ahead of time that the argument is that she just made a gaffe. Oops, she said the wrong word, and I'll, I'll let you listen to it. But what I find so interesting is, of course, it could just be that she said the wrong word. But at the end of the day... Why do we trust that what they add in the transcript is, in fact, actually what they said? Well, let's just say, let's just hypothetically say that she said the thing she's not supposed to say. Wouldn't they just easily change that and say, nope, it was a gaffe? Ask your, listen and ask, and ask yourself that question. On something like public health, when we invest in clean energy and electric vehicles and reduce population... More of our children can breathe clean air and drink clean water. Yay. About the- Did you catch that? Bobby missed it. Listen again. Something like public health. When we invest in clean energy and electric vehicles and reduce population, electric vehicles and reduce population, and reduce population. Okay, so the argument is she meant to say pollution you know, could be. I often even ask whether or not that is like an intentional drop. So we go, oh, and it's all meant to make us do that. Eh, I mean, I, do you think that they don't think about these things? I guarantee she's probably, that's maybe her trolling us right there. And she's probably yucking it up as we all make a big point about it. Either way, I think it's interesting that it's not a secret to realize that their discussion about these things, it's often overlapped with the idea that less population means more resources for other people or that, you know, as Bill Gates put in in more than once that, you know, with enough with the right kind of contraceptions, we can bring down the population. Of course, people act like that means something different. That he didn't mean kill people. Well, I'm not, I don't think anybody honest is truly arguing we know what he means, other than we should remove people from the population to benefit everybody else. That's exactly what they're saying. So it's funny that they would make this point here accidentally, but I just think it's very interesting. Oh, and then Mark Kalen points out that personally thinks it was a Freudian slip, which I agree with, which basically means that you, you know, have harbor a secret thing that you want and you accidentally say that instead of what you should have said. And the point is, you can see that they're arguing she meant pollution. I just think that's pretty interesting. Okay, let's start off with, you know, actions that really did call the population, whether intentionally or not. Here is a PhD and a doctor, Human David Humati, telling you the CDC study that just went out, which you can read here for yourself. This quickly was the point I was making. Usually I'm going to click it, look at it, go through it, take 20 minutes. We're not today. I might in the future, but I'm going to go through this quickly or try. Study released today showing alarming 17% spike in developmental disabilities, delay in kids during COVID lockdowns and mask mandates. 
Yeah, exactly what we warned would happen, that they said fake news. And now, in fact, are retroactively going, oh, that's actually the problem, not the vaccines. Somehow still while saying we were wrong in all of it, though, because that makes sense. The point is, this had a dramatic effect on children, the masks, the lockdowns, all of it. This, along with many other independent studies showing similar findings, you know, the trust the science crowd, yet again, ignoring literally all of the science except for the one that says what they like must teach government a lesson, but they don't care. Today, their own science confirms what had long been obvious to many of us. And you can read through this for yourself. It's very clear. They, it affected children to the point where they will never recover. That's, that's not my opinion. That's the multiple studies that have made this argument, that children, they went through this process, will be stunted forever because they're always playing catch-up. And, and especially when it comes to the facial recognition, the fact that the mask, uh, what's the term they use, developmental disabilities, I, you know, anyway, the point is, this is exactly what we told you. And they all said we were lying. Kevin Bass points out with this very disgusting picture, which is definitely real, some things they were doing during all of this, putting a mask over a baby, <laughs> which is just, I mean, it's absurd. the idea that we used to go out of our way to make sure there wasn't any, even anything that might end up obstructing the baby's mouth. And now we're jamming things over the baby's mouth. But as he points out, well, while they were doing this, the COVID death rate, which, and I'm talking, as we should know now, all the way back to the beginning, this has been shown now three times, as far back as you want to look, it was less than the flu. And here's the study he's citing right there. And you can see both of them. This one's from 2023. It's just the version updated peer reviewed, which is the point showing you that under 19, this, and this one even go, this was, here's what's interesting. Uh, just the point I'm trying, the point about under 19 is point zero 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 three percent And then in general, Everybody except basically overall, it was under for it's harder to read in this one. I had a, the better the view I have in the the I think it's on Elisevere. It looks different. It's hard. It's easier to read. I'm just trying to highlight didn't, didn't highlight it. But the point is right here, right there. Analysis also suggests the global infection fatality rate is 0.03 for under. 60 under 59 and then 0.07 under 69 and then the point on top of all of that 94 percent of the population is in that category they just you guys know this if you watch this show the point is this is peer-reviewed 2023 they don't care it's never been worse than the flu and based on their own analysis right now if it's even there it's less than it was here because it's gotten less effect dangerous because omicron or whatever their narrative is so if it's less than the flu to start it is da- dramatically less than the flu now they know this. By the way, here's a study from 2020, essentially making the same argument without exact st- uh, percentages. Basically just saying that pretty much everybody under 65 is not really in danger. But they ignored this one, too, because trust the science, right? Well, in general, I thought it's nice to see. Here's, uh, oh, and I should say this is a, a reporter covering this, citing this source directly from their email, showing their email from in and out So just for the record, I guess this could be fabricated. But the point is that this is In-N-Out Burger now banning their own staff from wearing masks. And then now they even need a medical note to wear one. Now, if you read it, it mostly seems to argue that they want their employees to be able to smile at their customers and so on. But I think this has to do with something else. However you look at this, I think it's almost laugh out loud hilarious that they're now they have gone from forcing them to saying you have to have a note to wear one. And it, that's just think about how crazy that is. They were never effective in the way they said they were, and they are hurting you if you wear them all day, period. I was saying that in 2020 when this first started. We're still right. You know why? Because I looked at the information, I compared it across the board, and that's what the data showed. 
Simple as that. Always has been. And people in the bot down here in the chat are going, how dare they? Somebody's trying to protect themselves, and they're wrong. Well, also, James Lyons-Weiler points out, so the American Medical Association will stand behind doctors who provide exemptions to support patients who refuse vaccines. U.S. Doctors Group will stand by physicians who disobey unethical laws. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, as he writes, double standard. Isn't it great how these doctors will support themselves, but not you? They'll force you and your family to do it because you're a bad person, but they'll stand by their colleagues if they dare. Isn't that crazy? Now, obviously, there are some of them that would probably support all of you, but what this shows you is from an, from an institutional level, an absolute disgusting double standard now that it suits them. Of course, right now, they're all struggling, as they have been for a year and a half, with no personnel because they fired everybody with integrity. So now they're trying to weasel them all back in by pretending like nothing happened. Professor Freedom points out, big German left-wing liberal newspaper finally apologizes to Sweden, which, again, think about how crazy this point is. <laughs> this is the point we've been making since the beginning. Sweden never locked down, and it always looked better, and they just pretended that wasn't true. But think about how desperate that is. From the beginning, people were somewhere in their mind aware they were wrong. The country that statistically has the lowest excess mortality rate in the EU is Sweden. If you're familiar with this, you are almost all, you are all you are almost suspected of being a conspiracy theorist. <laughs> but the point is, this major left-wing paper is going. You know what? We're sorry. We apologize. You guys were right, essentially. And here's the data. If you want to look at it even further, or at least the image of it. We've shown you this many times. Oh, I think he does have it down here. Excess deaths per 100,000 population. Look at Sweden. I mean, it's, it's, it's no different. Now, this is generally going up. Uh, the, the, the point was that you can look at this all the way up to today. As I have, I think maybe a couple months ago I did. And every single metric you could possibly show that overlaps with the risk we see from COVID are obvious. Crazy. I mean, I just really, and where, that's right, I want to look at the United States in there, you know. It, it, or the most, and, pretty much, and the other way to look at this, too, is almost all of these countries in the latter top half have the highest vaccination rates in the world. And, and that, they're comparing this to the average between the previous five years. I mean, it's just so obvious how wrong they were. Professor Norman Fenton points out that COVID lockdown, this is the point that I was mentioning, and controls were always going to be the test bed. I absolutely agree with that. They floated this right away. And the precursor for cl climate lockdowns, which we will be doing more of a focus on as they become a reality, sadly. And by the way, we already have. I've done multiple shows on climate lockdowns and how they've been building. So this is what I'm always showing you about demonstrating T-Lab's value. We are light years ahead of most of these stories because we're just constantly paying attention. That's why I have no life. <laughs> but the point is that you go back and you can catch up on these things before everybody else is talking about them. But this is all supported by exactly the same people with the same kind of flawed models and data. Exactly. And the point is, Israel, had climate lockdown has begun. Israeli Nature and Parks Authority has just informed that due to extreme weather conditions, wink, wink, UK, see what they're saying right now, they are closing down many of the trekking trails around the country, even though they have no legal authority to do so. Well, how in the world is closing down the trails have anything to do with, you see the point? It, it's, there's a, this is all connected, in my opinion. But think for yourselves. Make sure you follow up. We'll come back to a lot of this. Now, let's talk about one of the biggest conspiracy theories floating around right now. Now, we've talked a lot about bioweapons over the years, how your DNA tests could make you a target for bioweapons. Derek Bose wrote this in 2022. HIV compared to SARS-CoV-2, COVID, DARPA's immune system-focused agenda. Bioweapon. 
all these things that you can go through and read again from long before COVID-19. It's a very real conversation. Here's the one Derek just recently wrote in 2022. It's not a secret. It's an open conversation. Many of these governments have been actively seeking this, including the United States. But RFK Jr., because that's how this works, steps in and says, well, first of all, they misrepresent what he says in a tragic way. And then, as I understand it, this wasn't even supposed to be a public conversation. Great journalism, guys. It just shows you their ethics in this field. But RFK Jr. says COVID was ethnically targeted to spare Jews. He didn't really say that. I'll show you the conversation. But in the interest of time, the point is this is what they're arguing. Here's what he followed up and said. The story is mistaken. I have never, ever suggested that the COVID-19 virus was targeted to spare Jews. I accurately pointed out during an off-the-record conversation, which I find very telling, that the U.S. and other governments are developing ethnically targeted bioweapons, and that a 2021 study, which we'll look at next, of the COVID-19 virus shows that COVID-19 appears to disproportionately affect certain races since the furin cleave Docking site is most compatible with blacks and Caucasians and least compatible with ethnic Chinese, Finns, Ashkenazi Jews, as well as the Amish. That was actually the second category. I'll show you this next. I do not believe and never implied that the ethnic effect was deliberately engineered. I'm happy to at least float the possibility. Of course, it's possible. But we've already talked about this, as you remember, way back when this came out. I think it was only a brief point. We didn't go too deep on it because I just wasn't sure whether what we could trust coming out of the scientific community at that point, whether we're, you know, I, I, honestly, I was more worried. This was some kind of a, an effort to, to kind of mire us in things that we couldn't ultimately, I haven't seen any of the studies follow up on that. That was one of the reasons as well. I tend, you know, anyway, so the point is we, we really only pointed this once. I think it was a little bit after 2021 when this came out, his point is, and you can listen to it. He basically says exactly what he just said, that this is, they're working on them. That, yes, it does have a susceptibility to these specific ethnicities, and that's it. And that then they go clumsily out and frame it as exactly what they want you to see as the conspiracy theory. So it's hard to see that they're almost, almost embarrassingly trying to mischaracterize, incorrectly frame what he's saying. But at the same time, I wonder whether that's intentional to make us go, support, support. It's hard. You got to battle these because both those things are very common in this field. But that's just because I'm skeptical. That's all. Ultimately, I support most of what RK is doing, to be quite honest, uh, other than things that I aggressively don't agree with, which I've made clear before, Israel being one of them. Well, here is the study. And I think this is really important before we even get into some of the other comments that were made, that this is absolutely a real thing. It's beyond question, not only because we can prove to you that Israel and the United States in particular have openly been doing this. Of course, some of the guys that we need to be able to stop what they do, which makes zero sense. It's just like pretending to make a weapon so you can stop it if they magically happen to make the one in a billion chance the same weapon on the other side of the world, you know, bioweapons. It's just, it's a lie. And everybody honest has told you that. Dr. Boyle has told you this. They're lying to you about what they do. They're making weapons. And then also maybe making a vaccine for it. Sometimes not, but it's a weapon. That's what they're making. In this case, this study came out in 2020, and then it was, I uh, believe, peer-reviewed in 2021. I think that's the, t- the time frame. Either way, it came out in 2020, and it says, new insights into genetic susceptibility of COVID-19. Now, to cut to the chase. Oh, I have it on this one. I forgot this one was the, sh- this is the link he shared. Here's the full study, just on a different platform on uh, BMC Medicine. And here's what it says. 
right to the point. It's getting into the idea of why the H2 polymorphism analysis across different populations. It says, here we investigated genetic susceptibility to COVID-19 by examining DNA polymorphisms in H2. Now, remember, H2 was the specific gene that was the, the focal point, for the most part, that Whitney Webb wrote about in 2020. <laughs> and and, the, and the, the interesting overlap with that and previous examples, right, and that overlaps with the work they've been doing you know, to go, we can go deep on that as well. The previous work in regard to Equal Alliance and, and the, the patents and everything else. There's a lot of overlaps here. But it says we assembled a total of, uh, they, they did a bunch of these and, now, and analyzed a whole bunch of different ethnicities. And it says simply, prevalence of deleterious variants. And that's when it gets into the different versions of what happened in the body based on your different ethnic makeups, saying that Latino, American, or they list them all, but it says the South... Um, Oh, sorry, I missed the number specifically. It says 39% and 54% of deleterious variants in H2 occur in African-Americans, which, <clears throat> which then perfectly aligns with the fact that they keep telling you they're more susceptible to this. And, you know, it's hard not to even in that see some potential eugenics possibility. If you're afraid to ask that question, you're lying to yourself about your own country's history. And it says, and non-Finnish Europeans populations respectively. So non-Finnish European populations and African-Americans apparently had... Uh, 39 and 54% higher susceptibility, if, if that's the way you read that, ultimately meaning they just have a, look, to make it simple, more of a potential negative effect from dealing with this, if you think it's real at all. Prevalence of the, the deleterious variants among Latino Americans, East Asian, Finnish, and South Asian populations is 2 to 10%. Then, while Amish, Amish and Ashkenazi Jew populations do not appear to carry such variants in H2. Now, I don't see the Chinese discussion there. So I'm not sure where that came from, unless it's somewhere in the study that I missed. But either way, he is correct that Ashkenazi Jews specifically, which is a very specific thing. I find that really interesting. They don't carry the variants, which make this incredibly susceptible. Now, realize that's not just any Jewish person. That's a very specific background. So here, the point overall, we could dive in a thousand different directions from this. And you should, because there's every reason to ask whether this might have been intentional based on their own history. But re then, then realize how embarrassing it is for people to try to pretend that he made this argument when all they did was say, there's a study, and he's right, peer-reviewed, that says that's the case, that those groups have a higher susceptibility, never said it was intentional, and that ultimately this is something these governments have worked on, which is also true. It's amazing how facts are conspiracy theory when organized in certain ways. Here is what one of these classic manipulators online that make $20,000 if they lie all day on Twitter. It says, as an Ashkenazi Jew, I have never had COVID. You know what else? I got the COVID vaccine and booster. This is the Brian Krasenstein, whoever that really is. RFK Jr., the people who are most immune are Ashkenazi Jews and Chinese. Why does RFK Jr. bother to even discuss conspiracy theories which have no hard data to back up? Oh, really? No hard data. So I guess he just missed that when he didn't do any due diligence and just tagged along with the current narrative of the mainstream media. These people are just silly. They're not serious people. They just jump in and say the thing that gets them all the pats by all the mainstream people, and then they make $20,000 on Twitter, right? I mean, this is crazy, but that floats, and people say it because that's what you're supposed to say. I mean, you're literally staring at the peer-reviewed study that quite literally says that that's the case. But it goes on to say, I know that many Orthodox Jewish communities suffered greatly from COVID. But they didn't believe in the vaccine and did not socially distance during the first more deadly wave. Well, you would think somebody who is claiming to be an Ashkenazi Jew would recognize that they're not just the same as any Orthodox Jewish community. 
So he's either lying about that or is gaslighting for, the, you know, gaslighting the truth. They didn't believe in the vaccine, which, in fact, is actually wildly inaccurate, seeing how, seeing how Israel in particular, which includes both the Orthodox Jewish communities and just Israelis, as well as people that aren't either in a very smaller percentage, were one of the highest vaccinated populations on the planet. So he's, again, just selling you the narrative. But it says there are also rather reliable data that suggests that China hit hid their COVID deaths. Again, I'm not sure where the China part comes from, but I don't disagree with that. I think all of them tried to. Note that RFK Jr. responded today to the clip by saying, I have never, ever suggested that the virus... Yeah, he didn't. Right? You can, you can listen here. Again, just, you know, interest of time, and then I want to do it anyway, so hold on. Just so you guys can hear this, because I, I actually do think it's important that you hear exactly what he said. All right. Take a listen. Genetic differentials among different races of the um, of the receptors of the ACE2 receptor. Um, COVID-19 is targeted to attack uh, Caucasians and uh, and uh, and uh, black people. Yep, and you read that right in the study. He didn't imply it was intentional. That's just the reality. Now, also realize this is somebody secretly filming him, and that's apparently the level of corporate journalism today. The people who are most immune are Ashkenazi Jews and, uh, and Chinese. And but we don't know whether it was deliberately targeted at that. He literally just said, we don't know if it's deliberate. Like, did this guy not even listen to the clip that he posted? Not, but there are papers out there that show the, you know, the, um, the racial and ethnic differential and of impact to that. We do know that the Chinese are spending hundreds of millions of dollars developing ethnic bioweapons, and we are developing ethnic bioweapons. That's where all those labs... How embarrassing. You see what I'm saying? Like, these people are a joke. And you're being fed these people every day by the platform you're pretending supports you. Here is another point to consider on top of the point. So the Amish part doesn't get brought up in their conversation, which I think is really interesting. So just to to recap, it's very clear that, yes, at least this peer-reviewed study, which I believe was backed up by other research, but I haven't seen another peer-reviewed study, did find beyond question, at least in their study, that it was an obvious overlap with what your body was doing, depending on your ethnicity, and that the COVID-19, whatever it is, was obviously different based on that. So Ashkenazi Jews and Amish people in particular had no effect or very, very little effect in regard to, or say it differently. Amish people and Ashkenazi Jews had a far less negative reaction. The way to frame it is that they had a higher potential for negative actions if they were in the African-American categories and so on. And they they were on the lowest of the increased potential. But here's a point to realize as well. Amish obesity rate, 4%. American obesity rate, 42%. You know, so just to throw in a possibility that maybe it has nothing to do with an ethically targeted concept and they just, there's other factors that we're missing. That's always something to consider. But quite frankly, again, go back and look through the history. Some of these articles we wrote and they go back to 2015, like 10 years ago. And the point is that these, it's undeniable that your government has been focusing and trying to figure this out. Same with Israel. And then we have a very clear overlap with both Israel and the United States in the beginning of all of this, it's not that hard to wrap your mind around if you just are honest with the, something that's possible. Now, I think this is funny. Matt Orville points out, oh my God, R.K. Jr. caught on video spreading another conspiracy theory with no evidence whatsoever. Oh wait, that's actually Dr. Fauci. 
And the point is, he's theorizing that China secretly got rid of animals that were the intermediary host there. And the point is, that's just a theory, right? Well, yeah. So he's simply simply pointing out on a based on the idea that we somehow know that they were animals in the wet market, which now we've seen after all of this has turned out to like I think we proved early on that that was not how that happened. But then he goes on to say, well, they might have just destroyed all the animals. We don't know. Well, yeah, Fauci, that's called a conspiracy theory based on what you guys discussed, that people conspired to remove the animals and you're theorizing about how they conspired. You see how that's not as crazy as it sounds when you're just pointing out a logical conclusion about what might have happened? Of course, when we do that, we're dangerous. When he does it, he's actually dangerous because he's knowingly misleading you. But even then, he's allowed to do it. It's called free speech. But that's the problem today is they only want them to have free speech. Well, on to, in the regard of what these things are actually doing to the people that may not be Ashkenazi Jews, Amish, or Chinese, if the Chinese part is accurate, Ozzy17 points out, another day, another kaboom. Australia data shows rate of adverse events from COVID vaccine at a rate of 24 times higher per dose given. Which, by the way, oops, that's not the right one. Right there, sorry. <laughs> This one we'll come back to uh, the recent post on our Substack. Two new studies: more shots equal higher risk of COVID infection. Both peer-reviewed. All right, no, excuse me. I think one of them was. But either way, the point is that these studies are continuing to show the more shots you get, the higher you risk of getting sick and dying and going to the hospital, as we've been showing you from the very beginning. Where were we? I lost my spot. <laughs> so. This is no secret. Here is Steve Steve Kurtz pointing out that over 1 million Americans are likely severely vaccine injured by COVID vaccines. Most of them are calling it long COVID. The other half probably pretend it didn't happen because they don't want to be wrong. Either way, it's all there on the record. Why did young people die at a rate 16% higher in 2021 versus 2020? Isn't that the year they're supposed to be most protected? He thought the COVID vaccine was supposed to save lives. What caused the huge increase? Well, we know, guys. We know. Steve Kirch, again, pointing this out. I, this, I wrote this about Eva Frey pointing out. It's fascinating watching people blind, people's blind spots emerge in real time. This is an interview with RK Jr., and these two people just don't want to hear what's going on. But the point is about the 14-day period. And this is what uh, I followed up with. He says, yes, it would, likely, it would appear that the CDC likely attributed vaccine deaths to unvaccinated COVID deaths. I'm glad this is getting more reach, guys. We should support this no matter who's saying it, because the truth is, it's true. And the point that I made in this, though, if you listen to it, he points out the different, the, the same thing we've been saying the whole time. And when I say it, I don't, I wonder why they don't ever make the most important point, right? The moment that jab enters your body, you're at risk of adverse events. Because what they ultimately talk about is how they're pretending, the guy steps up and says, no, that's just when it becomes active. Well, okay, well, that has nothing to do with whether or not the potential risks of the vaccine injection are hurting you in that moment. The moment it enters your body, those things could cause an immediate reaction. Let's just even say it's one in a million chance. We all know it's possible. They tell you that's possible. So why then would you pretend that something that happens in 20 seconds is unvaccinated? Because you're hiding those things. So you, I, it blows me away that RFK Jr. must know this. When he, put, when he stands up and says, no, but that's because it wasn't active until 21 days. Then you say that means, that, that's like saying that because you have 20 years of research on mRNA vaccines, that we don't need the safety test today. That's not the same conversation. You safety test anything new that's made, regardless of the model that you had before on the, in, the injection and how it's made. So it, it, remember, the, this isn't a tool for your belt. Remember, when it brings it up, you tell them, no, 
The 14 to 21 day period is about the jab becoming protective against the virus. We're discussing reactions risk, which are potential immediately. And they know this. Anybody who's in the field knows this. And remember that we've been talking about this since 2021. 63% of COVID deaths are fully vaccinated as the CDC doubles down on pandemic of the unvaccinated. Right? It's become a hot point to now retroactively point back and say, remember when she said this? Well, now we know. Well, we knew back then because, and you did, because you watched this show and we proved it with facts. Okay, Craig Kelly points out all those injured by the injection and went to hospital within 14 days of the injection were classified as unvaccinated. Good. I'm so glad this is getting more reach. We need to understand one of the most obvious games in all of this. The Alberta Post, I always show because it's still there on the Wayback Machine until they take that away and continues to show what they didn't want you to see. Because the point was this got posted and within a matter of hours, they removed the graph. And we all thought it seemed like an obvious uh, mistake. And we'll show you why. As you can see, the Alberta stats, and it says right here, whether it's cases, hospitalizations, or deaths, what they say is that there's this many that were unvaccinated or simply diagnosed within two weeks. So it's right there, right in front of you. Now, you may not think that means anything. You may think, well, there's, it's, it's really about the long-term risk. Well, that's not true because this is why they removed this graph. They included the graph along with that ex- explanation that showed you without question. Now, we're looking on the left side of the screen here. The, the, the cases right here, the hospitalizations, and the deaths. The second one to the right is just further forward after other shots. The point is the first shot. And the first 21 to 14, 14, 21 days is where 90% of these things happen. And rounding, it's ultimately I think about 80 something percent when we talk about this, breaking them down individually. The point is you can see right here. So there's your 21 day mark right there. What you're seeing is the vast majority of these cases happen within that period, which then get called unvaccinated. That's pretty obvious, isn't it? Same thing here. The vast majority of the negative hospital, the hospitalizations that happen after the first injection happen within the first 21 days. The vast, vast majority of deaths that happen within the first 21 days, right there, all of that's called unvaccinated. That's why they deleted this. We've been telling this since 2021. A lot of us have. Not this Alberta post, but this this reality, because we've been showing you in the UK data. Here's Aaron Siri pointing out another one that we should be well aware of by now, that they pushed this on pregnant women without any data. And it's worse than that, actually. They pushed it on pregnant women with no data, but then lied and said it's safe and effective. We know that it is safe. And while you're there, get the flu shot, too. Well, they didn't test that either. And it's not hard to prove. You can look at the data right there for you. And the newest data, the newest document says exactly the same thing. That is absolutely mind-blowing that we are living in such a broken world that we can have the facts from their website and then we still just li- get lied to and people go along with the lie. Well, we've all, we talked about this all the way back in 2021, the flimsy evidence behind the CDC's push to vaccinate children, Wall Street Journal. And the, the reality was that they used, as we told you then, a tremendous number of government and private policies affecting kids are based on one number. This is a 2021, 335. That is how many children under 18 have died just with a COVID diagnosis in their record. And remember, that happens with just a test and a false positive or symptoms and being in the hospital. Yet the CDC, which has 21,000 employees, hadn't researched each death to find out whether it caused COVID or was caused by COVID. The point is that he calls this out and says nobody should go along with this. He's written hundreds of peer-reviewed journals. 
And he can't think of a single editor who would accept the claim that 335 deaths resulted from a virus without data to indicate if that was actually what happened. And then realize that even if it was all of them COVID, we're talking about 335 being a number that's supposed to be the reason we force kids to take injections. That at this moment was less than the flu for them. And we know this now based on the data. Well, the FDA, according to Becker News, is also under fire for covering up COVID vaccine deaths amid disturbing rise in heart attacks. Well, it's easy to prove. We know this is happening and people are pointing it out. I think this is good. We need to realize that the FDA is not what it's what we're supposed to be. It's, it's a captured agency at, the, at best. And we know these heart attacks are exploding. We have an un, unprecedented rise. We're baffled about what's happening. That's what they're saying. Think about how crazy that is to watch this happen in real time. We all seem to know, and they all seem to know, and yet it still goes forward. Well, another example of that is, is this Guillain-Barre outbreak, apparently, in Peru and everywhere else. The point is, a new de- Peru declares a state of emergency amid a rise in cases of a very classic vaccine side effect. Well, I said, well, with an 88% of the population, they say fully vaccinated. Here's the actual top, and you can see it's vaccinated and fully vaccinated. So if you look at this based on Peru, and 93% or whatever that whatever vaccinated means, 88 fully vaccinated, whatever that means today. So with that much of the population vaccinated, what's the injection that with the injection that is dangerous and already shown to cause Guillain-Barre syndrome? That should be the focus of the investigation. But I was guessing at the time, and now I'm right, that that would be ignored, and it is. Well, here's Angela Nashville points out, Nashville Angela, excuse me, points this out. Stephen Conger, 45 years old, recently passed away from Guillain-Barre syndrome. She, when when looking into this, found a lot of random obituaries where people were passing away from Guillain-Barre syndrome that's not being associated with the injection. Well, it should be. Here is the DW post that's making the Peru. More than 150 cases have been reported with hallmarks of this neurological disease. You can look back as far as you want, and I mean literally every injection you can think of has an example of Guillain-Barre syndrome. I shouldn't say literally, but most of them have an example of Guillain-Barre syndrome being a side effect. And it's aggressively worse with COVID-19 injections. Here is 2021, Guillain-Barre syndrome associated with COVID injection. Here's a peer-reviewed study from 2023 telling you that it is happening. And the point is, we're baffled. We're so baffled. It's an emergency. We need to stop other things from happening. Climate change did it. Literally involved in the conversation. That is alarming. When you can see what's happening and they point at something else. Well, Freddie Pontone points out in a positive note that Germany has now thrown away 83 million doses that your tax dollars paid for in France of coronavirus vaccines at a rough cost of 1.6 billion euro and has 120 million more doses just sitting unused. Germany's now on track to bin 20 million in doses. Yeah, that sure sounds like it worked, right? People aren't buying it and they never were. We were lied to even then. But they're still pushing is the alarming reality. But even the flu shot is going down. This is Australia. Flu vaccine uptake in, uh, in recent months in Australia is almost 2 million down on what was last year. Thank God people are paying attention with them blaming fatigue and, and cost of living. Of course, it's everything but the fact that we know what's going on, right? Well, guess what? They're still pushing it after all of that and everything else we know. Net harm, the reality of the increased risk if you take any of them, let alone more than one. And doesn't none of that even matters. Canada's telling you, get another booster in the fall. Oh, which booster? Oh, the same one that we've been told doesn't work? That's actually what they're saying in this article. Go get the old bivalent booster, because you have to. Even though right now, on on the other side of our mouth, we're saying, 
but it doesn't even work and it actually increases your risk, but go get it until we get the new one. I mean, how does anybody trust this stuff? It, but it's, they're literally pushing this, guys, even though it increases your risk right now. On top of that, Santa Clara University students are apparently being told they have to take these. Yes, that's actually still happening or they have to withdraw. doesn't matter how long they've been at the school or what they've already invested. doesn't matter. You have to. Now, there's actually this link in this that goes that shows you all the colleges that are still at least on the fence or actually doing this. I can't believe it. There's only a few of them, but it's still happening. And there's a lot of them that seem to have it kind of in the wings, maybe about to happen again. But Isaac Bogok points out that it looks like there will indeed, as I've been telling you, be an XBB COVID injection. Think about how stupid this is. Just like the bivalent thing we told you then, by the time it comes out, we'll be on some new conversation and they'll still force you to take it anyway. Right this moment, we've already bought, and again, narrative-wise, we've already gone past XBB 1.5, and now they're telling you it's, I forget the new name, it's something new, is is the prevalent one. But they've all, still already, they've been working already on just XBB, let alone not XBB 1.5, but they're back there working on it. And because they put the time in, well, they're going to push out anyway, even though we can, we're literally see, being told it's the wrong variant. And they want to go, well, it has some effect. What are you, okay, you're telling me to take a shot that we can prove is not effective, that it's hurting people. And then on top of that, you want me to take that. And even it's, it's even framed with the wrong variant, which then will be less effective if it was even effective at all. Yep, this is all really happening. It's scary. If it, I mean, it would be funny if it wasn't so scary. But it's genuinely happening. And they're going to push it, and it's going to be forced on everybody. Now, realize... Well, I shouldn't say that for a matter of fact, because the fact that we're seeing through it might very well change what's happening or that I could just be wrong. But overall, if they're going to put it out, there's going to be pressure one way or another. And it's hurting people. So please make sure you tell people what's really going on and just pluck out some of those peer reviewed studies and show them. You know, don't give them my long shows. They probably won't want to hear it. Realize that you can show the, the peer reviewed science is very clear. These things are not safe for people right now and probably never were. So keep an eye on that, guys. Now, let's finish today with an important conversation about how clearly, in one way or another, they seem to be coming after your livelihood, your health, and possibly your children. And that really does alarm me. And we've been, now we've been talking about this conversation quite a bit. The idea of, of you know, and again, not from a, a, a position of trans people are bad or that anything like that is just simply the reality that, that I have my opinions and I've expressed them, but I'll stand by the reality that my opinion that people, adults, have the right to do what they want with their own body if you're not harming somebody else, infringing on somebody else's rights, or you know any number of those things. The point is, is you're an adult, but the moment this overlaps with children, there's obviously a problem there. And so when you see this continue to be pushed, even though we can prove, just like every other conversation right now, that there is not enough evidence on top of that, that it is indeed hurting people. It's hard not to see the overlap here, that maybe this is just about creating some something specific. So I was happy to see that the Wall Street Journal, of all places, came out and quite literally told you that you're being lied to. Wesley Yang points out, everyone falsely claiming that the safety and effectiveness of child sex change has been proven. The fact that it's even a sentence is unbelievable. Beginning with the president of the United States, which he did say must respond to this letter from 21 European experts on pediatric gender medicine. Now here's the point that I was making before about let's say, let's say this one. Let's see if I can get it to pop up. Yeah, right here. Or even the whistleblower. Let's see if I can get that one to pop up. Yep. On both of these, right? The argument that this is the Associated Press from 2022 telling you that the VP, this one right here, that the of, of the leading transgender group in the world, 
which is WPATH, or specifically, where was it? It's right here somewhere. Oh, that's interesting. They removed the name? Oh, that's blonde. Oh, I, I put path. I'm sorry. It's right here. The World Professional Association for Trans, Trans, the World Professional Association for Transgender Health, leading group, right? But the president elect of this group said she's raised concerns about hasty treatment for children, and said very clearly that this is a problem. That they're put, and a lot of them have said this. There's a lot of people in this discussion telling them that this is one of the psychologists working with this same group, saying that they're concerned about sloppy treatment with kids, right? So this has all been very clear. My point is that on top, these are experts in this exact field. Many of them are transgender themselves, and they're speaking up and saying this is wrong in some cases, which is all we've really been saying. Ultimately, I think it's wrong for any child, to be quite frankly, to be quite frank. But the point is that all we're really trying to get to the crux of is the fact that they don't know this is safe and that there's clearly a political momentum to push this on children specifically. So all you really need to do is that there's no evidence to back up that it's safe. That should be enough. And that's also what this whistleblower says herself a trans person herself saying, I thought I was saving trans kids and now I'm blowing the whistle. And the main point that I pluck out of this, there's a lot of crazy points in this, is that ultimately, oh, here, I'll include this. Is that they were, where is it? I'm going to try to find it real quick. Funneling in people from the psychiatric unit. It says, besides teenage girls, another new group is referred to us, young people, from their own inpatient psychiatric unit of their own emergency department at St. Louis Children's Hospital. Somebody should be investigating this place, I'm telling you. The mental health of these kids was deeply concerning. They, were, they had people with schizophrenia, PTSD, bipolar disorder. And, and, these, and she says in the article, these people weren't transgender. These people weren't even gen- gender confused. But they told them, nonetheless, this would help them, and a lot of them took it up. These are people with the core point of their disorder being that they think things that aren't real. And she even points this out. And she go, He goes, no, but identity, sexual identity is real for them, though. It's, it's, it's just scary. So his point is that 21 European experts in this field have spoken up. And now they're apparently going to be called transphobic, despite being experts in the field, giving the very surgeries that most of us aren't okay with. I wanted to show this. A recent uh, Brock West made a couple of good clips here about the whistleblower. Oh, and our, and our sub stack as well. Uh, Scott did a focus on it as well. I'll let you guys check those out later. Now, let's get into the article itself. It's a short, it's, just a, it's a statement, really. July, thir- uh, um, yeah, July 13th. It says, and as experienced professionals involved in direct care for the rapidly growing numbers of, de- of di- gender diverse youth, the evaluation of medical evidence or both, we were surprised by the endocrine society's claims about the state of evidence. They've lied about it. We keep telling you that. For gender affirming care for youth. Stephen Hams, president of the Endocrine Society, writes more than 2,000 studies published since 1975 form a clear picture. Gender-affirming care improves the well-being of transgender and gender-diverse people and reduces the risk of suicide. Now, just if you, if you want to pretend that's even true, what they're doing is the studies, which I, I, I take issue that there's 2,000 of them, but the point is the ones we do see are only about whether this person claims they feel better right afterward. That's all this is really ever about. Very few of them even go f- months afterward, let alone years when they have these moments of doubt and change. But the point is that, that like with the chest feeding conversation, nothing that, none of that has to do with nutritional value, whether or not the chemicals translate. It's just like, did, did the person feel like a woman? Success. 
So that's what we're talking about here, by and large. And the argument that it reduces suicide, like how do you even quantify that? They say this one, they say one thing, and then a lot of times you see these people, we just showed you an article of a person who regretted doing this and then took their own life. Well, that still goes down as a transgender suicide and gets framed just like this. But it says, this claim is not supported by the best available evidence. I mean, in, a, in an honest world, this should be the end of the conversation. It's not, though. I'm going to show you some stuff that will blow your mind in a second. Things that are going even further. Medical treatments now happening in schools for the kids. Even though there's no evidence, no on, like, when they say not supported by the best evidence, there is zero long-term evidence of any of this. Every systemic view, review of evidence to date, they say, including the one, one published in the Journal of Endocrine Society, has found the evidence for mental health benefits or hormonal interventions for minors to be of low or very low certainty. By contrast, the risks are significant and include sterility, lifelong dependence on medication, and the anguish of regret. I, I'm actually kind of I'm shocked. I think this is, well, the, here's the point. Wall Street Journal, I would bet, would have never written this article, but for whatever reason, they felt it was good to post it, which I'm glad they did. Because you'll see, this is written by a whole bunch of doctors and child you know, people in this field. But it says, for this reason, more and more European countries and international professional organizations now recommend psychotherapy rather than hormones and surgeries. Gee, I wonder why, as the first line of treatment. The, now, just so you're clear on this, you may even disagree with that. The point, many people would say that this latter part shouldn't even be on the table. I agree with that for children. But the point is that what they're saying, as it gets spun as transphobic and anti-trans, is all they're saying is that they should, at the very least, first be given therapy and then potentially have this conversation, which, by the way, again, is all is what they were saying here as the whistleblower and that the AP was literally saying in their article that all they want is treatment, uh, you know, uh, counseling. And that says right here, again, voicing concerns about sloppy treatment given to kids without ad adequate counseling, the leading group in the world. So this is not some conspiracy theorist who got a hold of the Wall Street Journal. This is very clear. And all they're saying is maybe we should give them some counseling before we just randomly jump into this before we, you know, because people could be wrong. They could be caught up in the fad of the moment. Dr. Ham's claim that gender transition reduces suicides is in fact contradicted by every systemic review. Here's the point, guys. The endocrine society is gigantic. This is not an accident. You realize what they're saying right here. This is not like, oops, we got it wrong. They lied about what they saw because they probably just believe that they're wrong and so lying for your truth. That's one of the biggest things of this whole discussion is your, and I'm going to show you again in a minute, that these people are choosing that what they see as their moral compass, which, you know, you could argue they're right, I aggressively disagree, is more important than the law or a parent's choice, that they just in their mind go, no, that, that's a bigot. That parent, that parent just doesn't understand. So it, the right thing to do is to violate these rules, is to break the law, because I've decided my opinion is more important than all of it. That's what's happening. And you could even say they're right. That's still the wrong thing to do, including the review published by the Endocrine Society, which states, quote, oh, so let me read that again so you get the full sentence. Dr. Ham's claim that gender transition reduces suicides is in fact contradicted by every systemic review including the one published even by the Endocrine Society themselves, which states, quote, we could not draw any conclusions about death by suicide, and yet they felt the need to lie about it anyway. Good thing we can trust them. There is no, the Wall Street Journal writes, no reliable evidence to suggest that hormonal transition is an effective suicide prevention measure. 
The politicization of transgender healthcare in the U.S. is unfortunate. Yeah, that's a light statement. The way to combat it is for medical societies to align their recommendations with the best available evidence. Shocking. Rather than exaggerate the benefits and minimize the risks. Well, gee, let that last sentence really sink in when we realize that is exactly what happened with the COVID injections and still is. This letter is signed by 21 clinicians and researchers from nine different countries. PhD, PhD, PhD. But I promise you this is going to get dismissed and attacked by the corporate media unless this is a, and, you know, a designed kind of pullback from this conversation. We'll have to wait and see. So here is a couple of examples. Here is a, a person online who's speaking out about the regret. Persia says, I wish, I wish it was reversible. I would do anything to have my unmedicalized body back. I don't want to be in pain. I'm tired of having been an experiment. I'd do anything. I've researched opposite hormones, time, and waiting, even gene modification with things like CRISPR. There's no hope and no one will help. I will be stuck like this forever. Deformed and dysfunctional. It hurts so bad to see and hear that it's safe and reversible when none of the effects will go away. Think about that. I miss myself. Come back. Please come back. Here's another alarming reality. This, this could be something that's, in fact, the point. To swing in later and be like, don't worry, we figured out a way to help you. Gene therapy and CRISPR. We'll have to wait and see, I guess. Blood Type Blue points out, I've been following you for a while, but could you kindly tell me how far along you transitioned? 15 years old, trans identity. 17 hormones for almost 10 years. Double mastectomy at 18. Now, here's an interesting thing we're going to get into in a minute is the timing of this. And how, let's see where we are. I did want to play this. Let's see. I think we should be good. Let's play this video. What I'm going to, I wanted to get into in a minute is the weird contradiction with the timing of this. Now, as we understand it, they say puberty blockers is where you start. And then if you're, by the time you're 17, 18, if you're properly, if you, you know, if you decided, well, we'll give you hormone treatments and then surgeries. Or even younger than that, quite frankly. But I'm, I'm seeing in reports now the opposite. They're saying that we're going to deny you puberty blockers, but give you hormones as early as 10 years old. So it just shows you the same thing they keep hearing. They are building a plane while flying it. And that is obviously not in the best interest of safety for the children or anything else. But Christopher Rufo points out the transgender movement has conquered American life. In a new short film, he explains how the movement gained power and connected the dots between its key intellectuals. I think this is a really interesting thing. Now, there's some points in here that, I mean, take it with a grain of salt, right? Just it, it, This is his opinion. But I frankly agree with most of the, we can, I already talked about the, fend, the funding behind this coming from a lot of, you know, elitist white males, basically, that clearly based on their own politics wouldn't, I mean, don't even publicly support a lot of this. It doesn't make much sense. There's clearly a eugenics push behind a lot of this. That's my opinion. But I, I quite frankly think that's easy to prove. Here's what he says. Gender movement has conquered American life. Activist teachers have converted classrooms into propaganda. Influencers are driving billions of social media impressions, and doctors are cutting up kids in the name of gender-affirming care. The story goes deeper than you might imagine, featuring rage-filled intellectuals, a trans billionaire benefactor, and large-scale medical experiments in a Detroit ghetto. This is the story of the transgender empire, how it came into being, and how it hopes to change the face of American society forever. In order to understand what's happening with the trans movement, 
we have to begin with a short history lesson. In the late 1980s, a group of writers, including Judith Butler, Gail Rubin, Sandy Stone, and Susan Stryker, established the disciplines of queer theory and transgender studies. They argued that gender was a social construct used to oppress racial and sexual minorities. They denounced the categories of man and woman as a false binary that upholds a system of heteronormativity, the white male heterosexual power structure. These writers made the case that these systems must be ruthlessly deconstructed and turned to dust. And the most visceral, dramatic way to achieve this is transgenderism. If a man can become woman, if a woman can become man, they believed, the entire structure of creation could be toppled. A trans movement manifesto is intended as a secular sermon that unabashedly advocates embracing a disruptive and refigurative genderqueer or transgender power as a spiritual resource. This is Susan Stryker, one of the founding theorists of the trans movement. In her best-known essay on performing transgender rage, Stryker argues that the transsexual body is a technological construction that represents a war against Western society. I am... Think about in the context of transhumanism. A technological... I mean, that's really interesting. And also realize that what he's basically saying, if you, if you, believe, if you agree with his argument, that this was not really about people becoming who they're supposed to be, but a formulated attack on the patriarchy. Right. I mean, like the idea that ultimately this is about bringing down what they see as racism and the best way to do it is to blend these ideas because, well, where does the person's their own opinions like that's interesting at the very least. I'm a transsexual and therefore I am a monster, Stryker writes. And this body, Stryker says, is destined to channel its rage and revenge against the naturalized heterosexual order, against traditional family values, and against the hegemonic oppression of nature itself. There's something important to understand here. The transgender movement is inherently political, using the construction of personal identity to advance a collective political vision. Some trans activists even believe their movement represents the future of Marxism. In a collection of essays titled Transgender Marxism, Rosa Lee argues that trans people can serve as the new vanguard of the proletariat, promising to abolish heteronormativity in the same way that Orthodox Marxism promised to abolish capitalism. Lee writes, in a different era, Marxists spoke of the construction of a new socialist man as a crucial task in the broader process of socialist construction. Today, in a time of both rising fascism and an emergent socialist movement, our challenge is transsexualizing our Marxism. We should think of the project of transition to communism in our time as including the transition to new communist selves, new ways of being and relating to one another. Now, you could argue that that might be their perspective and doesn't necessarily align with the larger movement. But either way, I think it's impossible not to see that there is such a clear political movement here. Now, what's interesting, or rather what's the most horrifying, is that the children or even just average adults that get taken by this, too, are, are believing the narrative. If this is if you agree with what he's saying here, I, I generally I mean, what he's saying is factually true. I just don't know whether it's the entire point. But my either way, the point is that. The, like, let's take one of these children that regret what they did. Well, they're not aware that there's a larger political momentum behind this that doesn't really have to do with whether or not this child is safe or protected or healthy, right? I, I think that aligns quite a, quite a bit with what we've seen in the past.
This is the great project of the transgender movement, to abolish the distinctions of man and woman, to transcend the limitations established by creation, to hitch the personal struggle of trans individuals to the political struggle of revolution. All of society must be reorganized to affirm their identities and more importantly, their politics. So how did the trans movement suddenly move from the fringes to the center of public life? Because they built one of the most sophisticated ideological pipelines in American politics. It begins with a flood of cash. In recent years, some of the wealthiest people in the country have spent enormous sums of money subsidizing the trans movement. Jennifer Pritzker is one of them. Pritzker, born James Pritzker in 1950, served a career in the United States military and inherited a sizable part of the Hyatt Hotel fortune. In 2013, Pritzker announced a male-to-female gender transition. The newspaper celebrated Pritzker as the first trans billionaire. And almost immediately, Pritzker began donating untold millions to universities, schools, hospitals, and activist organizations to promote queer theory and trans medical experiments. Meanwhile, Pritzker's cousin, Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker, signed legislation pushing radical gender theory in the state education curriculum and directing state Medicaid funds towards transgender surgeries. Here's Governor Pritzker speaking to an audience of trans activists. Tonight I'm here to say that our state government is firmly on your side. We're going to make sure that all transgender Illinoisans are ensured their basic human rights and that health care services are provided to them so that they can thrive. This is one of the most obvious things that the average person can point out. There is literally nothing that the average person has access to that these people don't. You're creating a new category of things that are wildly contentious with no long-term studies, pressuring them into children, and then arguing that we're removing a human right by questioning that. You see, this is why it's so ridiculous. It makes me wonder whether we're supposed to point this out, because that's just ridiculous. There's just blatant lies and misrepresentations being parroted by people at the highest level of conversation. And yet yet we're, you know, suppressed and pressured and and money removed from it. That's, That's probably why. Here's how the scheme works in practice. Pritzker funded activists at Chicago's largest children's hospital, provide local schools with training, materials, and personnel promoting child gender transitions, using the reputation of the hospital to provide their ideology with a scientific veneer. These are some of the materials. As I've uncovered through investigative reporting, the activists and teachers associated with Lurie Children's Hospital expose children not only to trans ideology, but to kink, BDSM, breast binders, and artificial penis packers. The goal, according to the Children's Hospital, is to disrupt entrenched norms in Western society and to guide vulnerable students towards transgender medicine as the cure. Meanwhile, trans activists flood social media with propaganda. It's because of this one part of my body. About Think about the fact that we just watched a whistleblower tell you they were driving in the psychiatric unit into the treatment. Isn't that what he just said? It's hard not to see the overlaps here. The Chicago area detransitioner, Helena Kirshner, describes her transition experience this way. When I was 15, I was introduced to transgender ideology on social media and began to call myself non-binary. Over the next few years, I would continue to go deeper and deeper down the trans identity rabbit hole 
And by the time I was 18, I saw myself as a trans man. The result is a sophisticated school-to-gender clinic pipeline. Teachers, counselors, doctors, and influencers, many of whom are governed or subsidized by members of the Pritzker family, all push kids towards the science and politics of transgenderism. Highland Park, Michigan is one of the poorest and most miserable cities in America. It's nested within the city of Detroit and has been plagued by poverty, violence, crime, and death for decades. The city can't even afford to keep the streetlights on. But there is one institution in Highland Park that is overflowing with funds, the Ruth Ellis Center. The Ruth Ellis Center is Metro Detroit's central laboratory for the synthesis of transgender science and politics. The center's marketing pitch is an amalgam of all the fashionable left-wing buzzwords. Trauma-informed care, restorative justice, harm reduction, racial equity, and gender-affirming care. The last one is the most significant. Each year, the Ellis Center and its partners conduct large-scale medical experiments on a population of predominantly black youth who've run the gauntlet of homeless shelters, foster care, juvenile hall, and the streets. Dr. Maureen Conley is a pediatrician at Henry Ford Health and leads the Ellis Center's medical partnerships, providing puberty blockers, cross-sex hormones, and surgical referrals to scores of Detroit kids. Transitioning is an umbrella term to describe the process that someone goes through to bring their external self more closely into alignment with their gender identity. Typically, that's masculinizing or feminizing medications or hormone therapy. People can also choose to pursue gender-affirming surgeries, which are surgical interventions to bring their body more closely in alignment with their gender identity. Keep in mind, these are not the white, affluent, educated, male-to-female trans individuals who are the public face of the movement. These are poor, black, traumatized youth from the furthest reaches of the Detroit ghetto. They suffer from enormously high rates of family breakdown, substance abuse, mental illness, and suicidal behavior. And they're told that gender transition, the latest promise of therapeutic liberalism, will solve all their problems. The most elite members of our society, affluent, highly educated, left-wing female doctors, are using the marvels of modern medicine to manufacture the ultimate oppression, the poor black trans woman. I think I might have been about eight years old when I remember having any thought of being transgender or gender non-conforming. It felt like I was an outsider to this whole world of America. On top of not being, you know, a European American, I was black. The doctor. There are an endless amount of reasons why one might feel outside of a society. Now, if somebody steps in with flashy propaganda and tells you, here's the solution, here's what you've been searching for. Well, a lot of these vulnerable people, especially those that might not actually be gender dysphoria or have it, fall into this. We've shown you 20 plus videos of people telling you just that. That it turns out I was just a lesbian. Turns out I was just gay. Turns out I was just confused. And that I got took, I was taken advantage of, right? So I'm not. So you could argue that that person is correct about their own perspective, you know, percep- perception, but you have to realize that it may be just that something was told to them at a time that made sense because they were vulnerable and searching for anything to solve a problem. But you realize that there are people that just feel outside because there's a lot of reasons this country makes you feel that way. There's a lot of reasons that children feel that way as a natural process of growing up, and you step in and go, no, it's not natural. You're just in the wrong body. How in the world could they know that?
workers at the Ellis Center have created the new face of the proletariat, the highest authority in the intersectional hierarchy, and they've embedded the revolution into the very biology of their patients. In 1818, the novelist Mary Shelley wrote a book titled Frankenstein, or The Modern Prometheus. The premise of the book is that modern science, stripped from the constraints of ethics and nature, will end up creating monsters. The trans-affirming doctors are the postmodern iteration of Dr. Victor Frankenstein. They promise salvation through transition, but end up creating disaster. I think what we're becoming very known for at OHSU is genital surgery. And um, a prime example of that is a procedure called phalloplasty, which is um, the creation of a penis. Dr. Blair Peters is a plastic surgeon who uses he-they pronouns and performs transgenital surgeries at the publicly funded Oregon Health and Science University. Peters specializes in phalloplasty, the creation of an artificial penis, and vaginoplasty, the creation of an artificial vagina. And we now have a robotic vaginoplasty program. Um, we have the highest volume on the West Coast. And this has been a kind of game changer for patient care as we're now able to provide um, two cases a day in a single But the most revealing surgery performed by Dr. Peters and his colleagues is known as nullification. In this procedure, doctors perform a castration or a vaginectomy on the patient, then create a smooth, continuous skin covering from the abdomen to the groin, reducing the genitalia to nothing. This barbaric procedure is the perfect symbol for the ideology itself. Think about how ridiculous this is. Like this has gone, and as somebody said in the chat earlier, it's alarming how fast this is progressing. I agree with that. Like this is, like this is, you're, you're becoming a Ken doll here. And that's, and that's supposed to be, why? Because this child recognizes what that means? This is happening for children. As much as that you can argue the majority of them are eight, 17, 18, you can prove, as I have, that there's been children that have gotten these treatments. And it's all, I'm going to show you an, an article after this that's going to blow your mind. But this, might, this is not something that people are supposed to know about. Like, we're barely accepting, if you're even doing that, which I hope you're not, the reality of this with, with for anybody, really, but children. Now that we're stepping past it and saying we're, we're, we're just... I mean, I don't even know how to frame that. That's lunacy to me. Nullification is the pursuit of the Latin nullum, meaning nothing. And that is exactly where trans ideology ends. A profound nihilism that denies human nature and enables barbarism in the name of progress. Although this movement enjoys a certain measure of elite support, there is no doubt it will end in tragedy. Jennifer Pritzker, Maureen Connolly, and Blair Peters occupy the heights of power and prestige, but like Dr. Victor Frankenstein, they will learn a hard lesson. No matter how advanced their castration machines become, the trans activists and doctors cannot abolish the reality of man and woman. They cannot transcend the limitations of creation, and to the extent that they try, they will elicit the same heartbreak and alienation captured in the final scene of Mary Shelley's novel. The hulking monster shunned by society and betrayed by his father, filled with suicidal despair, drifting off into the ice flows, a symbol of Promethean hubris meeting its final consequence. It's a good video, and it's quite disturbing. Well, to wrap this up in general, I mean, I probably have another, I probably won't do this quickly. I'm going to try to, though. The point is that we have a lot to back up what was just discussed. Just really quickly want you to see this. I found this really interesting. This father interrupts drag queen story time, 
calling it men dressed as prostitutes reading filth to children. What I, what I find most interesting first is how they respond to the father trying to come in here and the fact that there's apparently like eight people ready to protect this group. What about that seems normal to anybody? I mean, just the idea that you're trying to force the father to not enter the room, doesn't that seem like there's something wrong? This is this not is a disgrace. Look at this. This is morally wrong. Right, Queen, story time for children. Reading stories to children. Wrong. Margot, can we not there? Yeah. This is absolutely disgraceful. We have kids, men dressed as prostitutes, reading filth to children. What's this all about, lads? We can't. Hi, how's it going? Um, lads, we can't stand for this. Drag Queen, story time. People are giving out about it in America. It's not welcome in Ireland. Look at all these people here, lads. They're a protection of grooming. There's like 11 people in this. Weird, I mean, that doesn't even make sense to me. Bottom line is you can disagree with this framing, but I'm going to show you next the reality that there are things that are happening here that are, that are wildly inappropriate. Now here, just before, I wanted to reiterate this from yesterday, or day before yesterday, parent staff demand that the school board drop their opt-out version from this type of story time. I mean, it just, it, this is quite literally them forcing children to go to these readings. There's something wrong here. Now, the point is that you could argue, as they're trying to say in here, this isn't about sexual education, except that's not true. Because el- whether or not these books here are explicitly graphic, like most that we've seen, that are being read to children, which I'll show you next, what we're talking about is a drag queen, which is inherently sexual. Listen to any drag queen that's not part of this movement, and they'll be like, absolutely. I've shown you them speaking out, saying it's a, a field full of drugs and sex and all sorts of promiscuous activity. That's what it's about. Dressing up and as a woman, when being a man, is a sexual concept, period. So ask yourself why they need to be a drag queen. Can't you just show up with a trans person and read them a book? Why does it have to be this, this cartoonish embellishment of what you're pretending all of this is? There's, is, is, that, is every trans person a drag queen? It's very weird, but on top of that, the books are about sexual identity. Just because you're not showing fellatio, which most of these we've shown you, the ones I have problems with, do, you're still talking about a kid who is coming to their own about their own understanding of their identity sexually. Right? LGBTQ, those things are sexual concepts. Lesbian, gay, what does it mean? It's talking about their preferences and the people that they have sexual attraction to. There's no way to decouple these things. So when you're talking to children about these concepts, yes, that's something parent, whether or not it's about that. Why would a parent not have the right to say, no, I, I don't want that? Just because you may think that's bigoted, why does that somehow supersede a parent's right? This is a problem. No matter how you look at this. Here is an example. Randy Weingarten, president of one of the largest teachers unions in the U.S., joined with a banned book mobile tour. So it's a, mo- a tour trying to argue that these are all the books the Republicans are trying to ban. Yeah, and most of these have wildly sexualized content. I, it, it's almost like they don't even realize, maybe they don't think it's wrong, which is all the more the problem, where they encourage these kids to read the banned books. One book is Gender Queer, which, which discusses chest binders, masturbation, sex toys, gay sex, blowjobs. This isn't about anatomy. This is about sexual proclivities. That's not the same thing. 
So the problem, and you can look, look at the images. That's supposed to be for children? Really? Look. Okay, so the point is, many of these books are the ones that, are, the only reason they're not being read at these is because they were removed by legislation, right? So the point is, that is what's happening, at least in some of them. And if they can't be honest about that, then there's obviously a bigger problem with the level of honor, which we already know. They're lying about most of this right now. Lying about how this thing, how this is hurting, or about the treatments being backed by evidence. Well, here's the other side of this, which I think is likely intentional. Gavin Newsom putting up a video about how a school board in, in Temecula decided to reject a textbook because it mentioned Harvey Milk. Now, my point is not even whether that's entirely accurate. Something tells me he's usually not entirely accurate. My point is simply that we can see how this counterbalance works in the two-party illusion, right? Where we have books that are at, clearly not supposed to be in front of children and clearly some kind of disgusting effort to make sure that they are. Then you have people from the right, ostensibly, stepping in to say, no, ban that book because gay people are wrong. Essentially, that's the point he's making. Then you get the teachers and the parents that don't know any better that see this and go, oh, it's just a bunch of bigotry trying to hide gay. That's not what's happening. If somebody's trying to ban a book because it mentions Harvey Milk, you're a ridiculous, disgusting person because it's just an activist that's famously gay or a famous activist that was gay that is clearly fighting for gay rights. Now, if that book discusses sexual proclivities, well, then I would equally say it's a problem. The point is that you, I think there's a game that's played using the two-party paradigm that stops people from seeing the crux of the issue. And we get caught up in the middle of that all the time. Left calls me a right-wing shill, right calls me a left-wing shill, and that should show you the truth right there. James S. This points out this is being taught to primary school students. So again, the idea is that they're being taught things that, that very clearly indoctrinate them with much larger things than just you're able to be who you want and that trans people are real. If that's all they really wanted to tell you, obviously that's something that's there, right? I don't think children should be denied the fact that this movement exists. I mean, that they, clearly they know because it's literally everywhere. But what, that's not what's happening. They're, they're telling you, you could, you, you can decide today. You want to be a woman? You might be a woman. Look at how you're dressed. That's actually happening. And here is why. It is subtle indoctrination that gives children the message that to be cis or not trans and comfortable with their own body is to be boring or uncool. Look at this. This is what children are being given. Identity keywords. Isn't it interesting how every one of them has a nice fun flag except cis or straight? Right. So you end up being that one student who kind of doesn't really understand what's happening here. You're seven, eight years old, and you're cutting these things out, drawing with your crayons or whatever that age is. And you're going, why does mine not? Well, I look like just this blank sticker and everyone else has these fun images. And you probably get put up in the corner with the ones that are normal or whatever they're trying to frame. And everyone else is fun and exciting and different. What do you think that does to a child that doesn't even understand what we're talking about yet? They go, well, I want to be fun. I want to have one of those flags. This is aggressive. This is disgusting, despicable level of social engineering to children who can barely understand what's happening. But that's what we're talking about. Don't, men don't mention the fact that the trans flag very clearly was first used as a map flag. I've proven that on this show, which is a member attracted persons flag. I, I argue most of these people don't even know that, but it is the truth. Here is somebody else speaking out about exactly this point. And this is, this is actually more of a, a, a general point about the, the pronouns. But listen to the point she's really making and ask yourself, based on this, in line with this, if by, by having the discussion the way they are, if that makes people who don't want different pronouns feel like they're not part of the club. And then it drives children to make these choices, which may feel fine and good to you, except the next step is things that make them infertile. And they're not even being told that. 
fall to have face-to-face -face meetings with your kids, principals, and teachers to learn how gender is being taught to our students. Do you know that our teachers are asking our kids for their preferred pronouns? Both my 10 and 12 year old were asked this by multiple teachers on the first day of school. This question is not kind, it is not inclusive. What is kind about forcing our kids to wonder if they may have been born in the wrong body? Really think about this for a second. The idea is you have a child, right? Who, who probably is old, has even really introduced to this. Right? A lot of them haven't. Because their, par their parents don't think this. They're, not, they're only going to find it and be introduced to this from a teacher. Now, a, a quick side note. Why is that even appropriate? Why? I'll, I'll, hold on. I'll wait out for that because I forgot I included the tweet. Why, just, the point was, why is it appropriate for teachers to be including trans ideology in the curriculum? Because that's a sexual concept, first of all. So at the very least, it should be involved in a sexual education conversation if you agree with that. But the point is that it's being taught alongside math and geography. That's not a, that's that's weird because it's clearly a, a a politically motivated effort. The teachers decide that's more that's not who's making the curriculum now. That we actually just saw the video, and that's why that's happening. But I'll come back to that point. What she's saying though is about the pronouns, and these kids don't understand, and so they step into this. And look, I think it bottom line should be that if these people, if these kids feel that it's important, then they can say something about that. They can say, no, I I, I prefer to be called this. And why that should be this huge, like they might be triggered to commit suicide if you dare to accidentally or even say the wrong pronoun. Well, that indicates a mental problem far bigger than just being upset about a wrong name, right? So the point is these kids be driven into this club, which is what it's being framed as. The new thing and everyone's okay. You can just decide today and choose tomorrow and change your mind. But that's not true because they're getting treatments that they can't come back from. But the seven-year-old doesn't know that. Under ideology tells boys Let her who speak. like dresses that maybe they're really meant to be girls. So they should take puberty blockers that stunt them, cross-sex hormones that sterilize them, and surgeries that make them medical patients for life. Nothing about that message is kind. Kindness is simple. Tell boys who like dresses it's okay for boys to like dresses. Inclusivity is simple. Tell those boys they are still included in boyhood. What they like or dislike can't make them more or less of a boy because being a boy is a male human child. This cannot be changed through social pressure, drugs, or surgeries. Of course, the same goes for gender nonconforming girls. Again, I urge you to get curious. In the back, someone's told science, this is false. <laughs> I mean, it's just so sad. Biology is false. The point is that basically saying that obviously the, the inclusive thing which clearly is actually the representation of the word, not boxing out people you disagree with, which is what they're doing, is to say, you're good no matter what. We accept you however you currently are. Not that we accept that you have this illusion that you're supposed to chop your body up to be what you think you're supposed to be because of propaganda, right? The idea is clearly that, th that this is something that in some cases are being driven, children being driven into positions that they don't understand and taking actions they're told are the right thing by teachers that have a political motivation. But I just think what she's saying is so basic. It's just it, it, there is obvious vitriol in this for anybody that's not part of this inclusive club. What's kind is to allow people to be okay with who they are. And here, Louise points out, I wasn't made aware that my 10-year-old would be learning about this at school. Right? So here's a 10-year-old learning about all of these different things. 
Robin feels like a he, she, they is different gender from Robin's biological sex. What might Robin be? And that's, you know, what a pansexual non-binary. Like, this is what they're being taught. Not in sex education, but in normal everyday school. Chris had a boyfriend and a girlfriend before. Chris enjoys spending time with both people. Chris is attracted to, so you're talking about attraction. You're talking about gender. These are sexual concepts. And look, bisexual. Like, the point is that this is not disconnected from that. And now suddenly being taught sexuality is just part of your everyday, seemingly continual, nonstop education in schools that allow it. There's nothing appropriate about that. Now, I'm going to skip this one for time, but this is a woman that is speaking out about exactly this, that she's going to sue them because what they're doing is ex- everything we're talking about today. And that every, I mean, people are beginning to see this stuff. Here's a teacher instructing a 10-year-old to make sure this email is deleted after private communications about their identity. A teacher at Olympia School District was privately communicating with a 10-year-old, which is inappropriate right there, about her gender identity, and even invited the girl, so by her sexual identity, and even invited the girl to her house and suggested she set up a private email account and delete the messages. Otherwise, when your mom looks, you'll be outed instantly. So everything that was once unacceptable, like, what, would this be okay if this was a, a, a man teacher? Or what about a, a, a woman who's actually a man teacher? Where's the line here? Is all of that appropriate? Well, at what point would, did it change? Teachers are supposed to not be able to, to privately communicate with students in general, let alone off hours, let alone invite them to their house. But I guess because narrative, all these things are appropriate now. So what? it's not possible this teacher could be a predator who's abused? Of course not, because... Not in any world in this conversation is there an overlap, except quite obviously almost everywhere, but they don't care. This is outrageous. And apparently, I'm willing to bet you, it's not even up for debate. This is clear, by the way. I'm just skipping past it for time. But the reality is this is happening all over the place. Teachers are allowing this. Boards are allowing this. School boards are saying, yes, it's okay not to tell your parents. 30 seconds ago, that would have been a gigantic deal. People would have been arrested, but not anymore. Unearthed video shows teachers, union, president ranting and raving on stage, calling our students babies. The point is not really about what she's framing them as, other than the fact that it's about fighting for these children, but to make sure that they can get sex change procedures for the youth. That's what this is really about. So don't miss the point. And here she is chanting in a way that is really disconcerting, in a way that seems almost ideologue level. I can hear... Chief Seattle crying out to us, urging us to remember when you know who you are, when your mission is clear and you burn with the inner fire of an unbreakable will. Yeah, that might as well be church. And that's exactly the point. This is a teacher's association and, and, and it is the, no! the National Education Association preaching to everybody. And ultimately, the point is making sure children can get surgeries and treatments because that's what they want. And guess what? Seattle public schools are now literally offering gender-affirming care to students as young as 11 years old on your dime. Tax dollars. No cost. As critics say, it's a whole new level of awful for schools to be involved. Here's what it says. Schools in Seattle are offering free gender-affirming care, which means exactly what you think it does. As I just showed you, almost predominantly, it just skips right past any kind of therapy. They see that as insulting. They see that as offensive. And, And even though that's essentially mandatory, and I'll show you why this isn't happening in a moment, 
That means puberty blockers, hormone treatments, and surgery. That's what that means. As young as 11 years old. Just like, remember, 10 seconds ago, that was a fake news story. Right there. Documents obtained by Parents Defending Education, which apparently are going to be called Nazis now because they point this out, this week reveal health centers at these middle schools are allowing students to conveniently seek treatment on-site for free at school. The facility's self-professed mission, according to the website, quote, is to promote health in transgender, non-binary, and gender-diverse communities through ensuring equal access to gender-affirming medications and procedures. What do you mean equal access? What, what, what's the other group you're talking about? Go ahead, I'll wait. <laughs> They're just using terms to make it sound like something's being suppressed. There's only one group here, the transgender community, that's pretending that they need these treatments. There's not some other group, some white affluent group, getting them instead. So what do you mean equal access? This is the game they play about some, like, our human rights are being violated. No, you're creating a world or a situation where you have experimental treatments that have not been flushed out for safety or anything for that matter, and acting like by questioning that, we're denying you how, that's the way this is played. So it shows you an inherent dishonesty or a deep-seated level of ignorance. While puberty blockers are still barred from prepubescence, that's my point, what? Kids as young as 10 will still have access to cross-sex hormones such as estrogen and testosterone at two primary clinics run elsewhere in the city. So wait, wait a minute. So now you're telling now suddenly they're blo- they're blocked from the first thing they've been taking this whole time? Maybe because they cause infertility. Maybe. So you just flip it it's on its ear? Yeah, they're building the plane while flying it. Let's just switch it up. See how that works out. Totally tested and safe though. Unbelievable. And now 10-year-olds are getting hormone treatments. I thought the whole thing was they were supposed to wait till they were 17. This is outrageous. Dailymail.com reached out to them, of course, and they didn't respond. Shocking. They include Gender, this is the, the treatment, gender-affirming medications, so that just like we said, hormone treatments, injections, teaching, uh, in, and injection teaching as, uh, t- uh, wait, hold on, it says androgen blockers and injection teaching as needed, so teaching them how to inject themselves with hormones, as well as hormone therapy for adolescents and spe- specialty referrals for young patients as needed. Also included is the in the treatments are referrals for gender-affirming surgeries, such as vaginoplasty, chest reconstruction, and procedures. Get this. Assistance obtaining medical health letters of support. So a doctor saying, yes, they have gender dysphoria and need treatment. Are, and these referrals for internal and external behavior health counseling, it adds, are also dished out as needed. Right. So what they're saying is, if you just need us to sign a piece of paper or pressure doctors that will give you a, sign whatever you say you need, we'll do that for you. Which we've already caught them on the record saying. Yeah, we know they don't think they have gender for you. Just write it down, though, because they clearly need the help. That's what's happening. We've shown you a video of them literally saying this from one of the leading groups. With their, their assistance obtaining these letters of support, just let us know. We'll dish them out as needed. How is anybody okay with this? And there's your person right there. Alex Nestor, an investigative fellow for PDE, the group fighting this, said schools aren't parents and they aren't doctor's offices. You'd think that would be enough to understand that this is not okay. The combination of the district's parental exclusion policies, which we know are happening, which means they're on policy, they're not allowed to tell parents what's going on, and its provision of dubious medical interventions to change a child's sex creates a really troubling situation. So now you've literally got a profit motive, despite the fact that they're not charging. I guarantee you there's kickbacks for this from the groups they're working with. And the point is that now parents don't know. Now they're going to facilitate the entire transition to surgical change behind closed doors. 
of children in separate documents obtained uh, by Sanzi's team, the district advised, advised school staff in general to, quote, not disclose a student's transgender or gender X status, gender X, unless legally required to do so. So they're straight up telling you we're not going to say a word. The district also, the district also st- states staff should, quote, avoid using gender pronouns if, of course, that might reveal the identity. to the So in a weird oxymoron, they're going, oh, but we won't use your gender pronouns if we see your mom around. Doesn't that sound creepy as hell? As I just saw a post the other day say, you know, it used to be that if anybody anywhere is asking you to not tell your parents, especially if it has to do with sex, then that's a big red flag. Apparently not today. And I keep pointing out that all time low in confidence in schools, and this is exactly why. So it just continues to show you that people don't support this. As I said the other day, most Americans don't support trans athletes in sports, but they're pushing it anyway. James Esses points out today, I spoke to multiple parents whose children became so alienated from them by online LGBT communities that they left home and moved in with a glitter family who simply affirmed their medical transition. He says, tell me that's not a cult. At the very least, you know that you have allowed people in this movement that there are situations where vulnerable youth that might be wrong about this, possibly all of them, but in this case, you know, some of them don't cho- that regret this will end up going to places where they continue to go. Yes, yes, you're right. Even if they don't know that. And that's what happens. Now, UN women, which is inherently contradictory, puts this tweet out. We must dismantle stereotypes about gender identity, gender expression and gender roles that are underpinned by patriarchal social norms on International Non-Binary Day. So why is UN women tweeting about this? Let's take a time to reflect and learn. Gender identity. So not UN women literally tweet something out that is removing women, which is what lots of lesbians and women groups are pointing out right now, that they're being systematically removed from the conversation. Here's an example. They replaced the gay men's flag, which they did. Now they're calling the lesbian flag transphobic. We keep telling you this because what they're saying is if you're a lesbian and you won't date a trans woman, then you're transphobic. The same thing they tell straight men. You won't date a trans. You're a trans. Oh, no, it's just because I don't think you're attractive. How about that? I mean, it's, it's just ridiculous. So now lesbians are part of the problem, which I told you this was happening. They're consuming. It's because this movement is rabid and it doesn't even support and, and align with most transgender people that I know. But it's happening anyway. Everything not made specifically for this group in mind, inherently transphobic. And you're a bigot if you disagree. Yeah, that's what's happening. This is unreal. This is exactly the point I was just making. Evan Eventbrite literally just removed a let women speak event in Austin. Why? Because it's hateful. A group that is about women being able to speak. Think of how fast this escalated. 30 seconds ago, we were crazy for, you know, it was women fighting, the, you know, breaking the glass ceiling. And now it's like, like immediately just went right over the top. And now women are the ones hating trans women. It's just, it's actually ridiculous. It would be funny if it wasn't so scary. And as I said, think about how ridiculous it is for the faux women's rights advocates, Hillary Clinton, for example, to be moments ago screaming about women's rights. And right now are oddly silent. Isn't that interesting? Nothing about these people is honest. They only care about using you to achieve your ends. Now, one point somebody made I think is really interesting before we finish with the the, uh, sports part. Jake Shields points out, why do so many celebrities have trans kids? Is it simply because it's trendy, which I absolutely think is happening, or is it something else? 
Well, you can see that there's a lot, especially when you have kids or people with three kids, like this one. Or no, which one? There's one. I thought there was one with three. In any case, the point is just even just the two, right? So you got Charlize Theron here with two kids she adopted, and they're both black boys, and they're both being dressed as girls. Right. So here's what Jordan Peterson says. It's just an co- unfortunate coincidence. Or is it? Odds against 8,999,999 to 1. But let's just pretend like she just got lucky. Right? Or that Megan Fox just got lucky. Right? The odds, based on the stats, we're being told that they would adopt two kids or have two kids, they would just both be trans, is mathematically wildly uncertain or, you know, unlikely. And yet, weird, it seems to be happening with all the trendy sports, all this trendy fast. You know what's happening here, guys. It is obviously social contagion. Everybody seems to know that to some degree and just pretend, just like, believe women! In a moment, probably very soon, it's going to taper back down, and it's already happening. Wall Street Journal comes out with their article. The point is, but it, did, but it didn't help all the children that got pushed into this over the last three years. Too late for them, sadly. Finally, just want to reiterate this on, on, the, on the sports side of this, right? The, the idea that these hormones, testosterone treatments, and so on make a difference, which is undeniably true in the effort of sports. I want to reiterate the fact that this, this is just one of the many that I show and all these ridiculous people like Mehdi Hassan ignoring the fact that these EDCs are in fact directly affecting gender issues, endocrine disrupting chemicals, right? Endocrine society, endocrine disrupting chemicals. It's very clear what they do. And just want to reiterate this. This is one from 20, 2005, excuse me. The answer to the question of whether exposure to EDCs is associated with gender-related effects is clearly yes. Please read the rest of it. I've gone over these intentions more than once. Actually, I'll bring this up, which I sometimes forget to re-add these. I've already saved these. I forget to add them in the link, so remind me if I don't forget to re-add it or re-save these. But the point is that endocrine-disrupting chemicals are very clear. The science, the peer-reviewed science, definitely says that they can cause fetal dysphoria. So here's one saying, yeah, quite clear. 2005, peer-reviewed, but screw that. We don't care about facts. The point though, is that this is having an effect. The larger point in regard to the sports part of it is that they're aware of this that long ago, that the idea that these chemicals, and I'm overlapping two things here, endocrine-disrupting chemicals or things like dioxins, PFAS, glyphosate, the injections of COVID-19 themselves, we've seen all these, they have direct effects on hormones. But then there's also this discussion of sport athletes taking hormone treatments and whether that will affect the question is not up for debate they're designed to do that so ask yourself why it's not okay to point out that these edcs can cause gender dysphoria right but then in the same reverse situation they're quite literally using those to cause themselves to think them think about how dumb that is so if you're taking them to change your gender but then claiming that's not happening over here everything about this is inherently contradictory and doesn't even they're lying to you. But here's the point about this on the to the next stage of this conversation to finish. It's not a question that this is happening. And that this is another, This I think, honestly, this is sort of a byproduct of allowing this to be the case or lying to us about what's really going on. You have people like this that are men who just decide to be women one day and then just dominate women's sports. This is another transgender runner who is 49 years old, who gets the bronze medal, but you'll see why it's, it's incredible. It's an obvious, just like this is examples you see in every most of these cases. 
A transgender runner has won a bronze medal during the women's 400 race at the World Para Athletics Championships in Paris. Now, first of all, it's para-athletics. You'll realize that the reason that the argument is because apparently he has a degenerative eye condition. <laughs> anyway, so the point is, Peter Erickson, Canada's former Olympic head coach, called the results shocking, while the third fastest British female marathon runner told the Telegraph how many 49-year-olds win medals at the world level. None, basically. The runner is 18 years older than any other competitor in the race. Petrello competed in men's national races before transitioning in 2019. <clears throat> now, also think about this. So, if you were a woman or man athlete in competing in normal women and men sports, and then you won, and they tested your blood, and you tested positive for testosterones, like or testosterone treatments, you would you would be you would get your title taken away. It's like taking steroids. Right? So that, that, that's a very clear thing. Oh, nope, you, you were juiced. You're cheating. But then you've got things like this where they're publicly taking similar, or not, you know, not steroids, but testosterone treatments. Like, realize when I was even in high school, there was a thing called Androstein that was, you know, probably wildly dangerous, but I was a kid. I didn't even know any, but people were going it for football. Someone's like, take one of these and you'll play like, and that's, that was a version of some sort of hormonal thing that affected the way your testosterone. The point is, that's not supposed to be legal, but it's happening here. So nothing means everything. Everything means nothing as long as you have a political agenda, right? But it says after transitioning, the runner apparently won the 100, 200, and 400 meter races in women's Italy's Paralympic Championship. Petrillo hoped this would result in a place at Tokyo, but then they just said, no, you're not allowed to come here. Clearly, there's this is changing right now in front of us where sports are beginning to go, nope, sorry, we've woken up to the illusion NBC points out female transgender athletes who transitioned after male puberty will no longer be able to compete in women's sports. Frankly, it's still not the full point. It shouldn't be at all. It shouldn't happen at all. It's just not okay because it doesn't make sense. And I'll show you even more so why in a second, but at least it's a step in the right direction. The point is, is earlier in this year, when Petrillo won a 200 meter women's race in, 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 uh, Ancona, Christina Sinoli, who finished second, said, quote, we do feel equal because Petrillo's physical structure is male. We do not, excuse me, feel equal because it's a man. So we are not running at par. Although the personal path this person has taken is respectable, which I'm probably just saying to not get attacked, which they will anyway. Aesthetically speaking, it is not. And because of this, we feel very discriminated against. But again, today, a woman being discriminated against by a trans person doesn't mean anything. Even though seconds ago, you would have been called a woman hater for not caring about it. Now, it says Petrillo's wife was supportive of the athlete transition and they remain married and have kids. So that seems odd to me personally. So it's basically a man and everything but name. Petrillo, who is just under five foot ten, is now apparently 13 pounds heavier than before transitioning. So 18 years older than everybody else. 13 pounds heavier than before, right? The 49-year-old times are even slower today than they were before. But steps into the woman's field and dominates. Guys, this is not this is common sense. If you're finishing lesser in the men's division and you're heavier and slower and somehow manage to win, this is the bronze, but really she won three other events. That's no that is a no-brainer. You're only winning because you're competing against women. It's pretty simple. And that's why most people are saying it's not okay. Now, here is the last point that is kind of really hard to, to see. It's it's in a way it's kind of funny because it's crazy. But apparently this happened more than once. Megan Rapinoe, uh, or this was, it, was that the name of the, the fighter? 
No, I guess not. So this MMA fighter, who is a man, to fighting in women's sports, apparently has like broken the face of more than one woman. And listen to the way they respond afterward and, and ask yourself whether the crowd is even in, on board with this. Oh, that's weird. I thought I had this. Guess not. Hold on. And this, and this will be the, the last point today. So, yeah, we're just, um, not at two hours, but almost there. But we're getting there. We're getting there. Okay, here's the last point. Fox throwing oh, the knees, and that's oh. it. Fallon Fox. Holy cow. Oh, game over. Wow. And a quick finish to our first our first women's twenty thousand dollar championship tournament fight. How you feeling right now? I'm feeling excellent. That was sweet, huh? Did you like that? Yeah! And I want to tell everyone else, I'm coming in this in this tournament. Every woman in this tournament better look out. I'm freaking coming. Come on, guys. I mean, it's just, it's just, and as I said, did you like that? Crowd shifts uncomfortably, which is what they did. It was kind of like, yay. It was like, wow, is that a man? <laughs> yes, it is a man with a very deep voice and just dominating women's sports. It's just, it's, it's exactly what the video played out. Right. Then this is, again, guys, why most Americans oppose, including trans athletes in sports. Seventy percent, according to the poll from NBC. NBC. But they don't care what you think is the point. Even the left wing media is going, yeah, most people don't agree with this, but we've decided that you're gross and we're going to do it anyway. Right. So their moral perspective is more important than the law, than safety, than the democratic perception of the majority will. If you even think that makes sense. It's wild, guys. It is absolutely lunatic. This is what we're showing you is not debatable. Now, I have all sorts of opinions that I've given throughout the show, but I've given you facts. And now even the corporate media is coming out and going, yep, guess what? Ryan was right. They don't have evidence. And it's still going to be pushed. And we're still going to be debating somehow. Even though we say it, we proved it. And now the corporate media says it. And the same evidence is there. My point is that that doesn't stop. Which, how do you explain that? So tomorrow... It'll be still, we'll be debating it. You'll have teachers doing it in schools. You have these schools in Seattle offering treatment, and it still goes on. But didn't we just prove it? We did it. Didn't the Wall Street Journal just make the same? Yeah, but yet it still continues. And so this is where I butt up against, guys. How do, what is the next step here? How can East Palestine be suffering still, and they're being told they're not even, you're fine, you're lying to yourselves. COVID shots still being given despite all of the evidence from their own peer-reviewed journals telling you that they're dangerous. What's the next step? Genuinely want to know what you guys think. Because I'm going to keep doing this no matter what. Because this is the one of the most important steps. But I'm just at a loss here. How we can go from verifiable information and then just butt up against the narrative going wrong, wrong, wrong. And some people fall for it. But at the very least, what we're doing will save some people. And that's what we can, that's the best we can do at the moment. Because I know people in this chat that my, my parents are alive today because of your work. Or, I mean, this right now. People telling me that they've watched what's going on. They realize they, they, they're, what they were doing with their kids were wrong. Like, this is, the, I get these emails every day. I just don't, read, I just don't always read them. It just, it just happens every day. And that only happens because of you guys. 
We would not be here without you. So thank you for your support. I love you all. As always, question everything. Come to your own conclusions. Stay vigilant. The idea that there's hateful speech, it's like, yeah, okay, that's self-evident. No problem. Well, let's regulate it. Okay, fair enough, because it's hateful. You know, maybe we'd rather that there wasn't any of it. Okay, no problem. Who defines hate? Well, we'll worry about that later. It's like, no, you won't. That's actually the problem. Here's the answer to who defines hate. Those people that you would least want to have define it. That will be the inevitable consequence of the legislation. Because sensible people won't have anything to do with that. Like people who are power mad will gravitate to that domain to make an ethical case to exercise their controlling power over the language of other people. No, and I've had journalists say, well, what makes you think that your right to free speech trumps the right of someone to not be offended? And I think that's really the level of our political discourse.